all across this audience, you either work for somebody, even at the top of the org chart, you have a board of directors over you. Raise your hands again. All right, this message, hopefully this morning, will apply to almost all of us. Every single one of us, at one level or the other, have someone over us, either a board of directors, a boss, somebody that's directing our activities, somebody that has something to say about us or about how we work. And we have the opportunity to influence the workplace on a regular basis. How many of you like your boss? No. <laughs> Missy, where's Missy? Thank you, Missy. She works here. So I was kind of curious. That's the reason I... How many of you like your, uh, your bosses and like your employees? Don't do that if they're here. <laughs> Job market is a hot topic. Obviously, it's one of the hot topics that are going to be coming up over the next number of months. Certainly has been over the last few months in preparation for the presidential election. Probably one of the number one issues of the top three or four issues that are going to be debated over the next few months is that job market. What happens? What's going to happen? How difficult is it going to be? Will it be there when I want to retire? Will my retirement be there? That's a huge issue for people today in the workplace. You and I both know that so often in these presidential elections, the debate is about the other person or against the other person or why they're not qualified or why they shouldn't be in that position or what they've done in the past. What I look for is what are you going to do? What difference will you make? And that issue, the job market and the economy, is going to be one of those things that you really ought to look for very carefully as to who can best address that issue and answer that issue in the election coming up. We're in that cycle again of every four years where we listen to a lot of rhetoric. What I listen for is what will you do? What difference will you make? Some jobs are more difficult than others. Some jobs are more dangerous than others. Some more satisfying. In your sermon notes this morning, in your bulletin or sermon notes, that I want to fill out. Statistics tell us that only 45% of people are satisfied with their job. Now, that's less than half. Now, again, I wouldn't ask that in an audience like ours this morning, how many are satisfied with the job that you're in, especially if you work here. But only 45% of people are satisfied with their job. In a recent Harris poll, 20% feel very passionate about their job. That's only one in five that feel passionate about what they do, love what they do, love the part of it that brings them life and energy. 33% have believed they've reached a dead end. That's one-third in his survey in the job market feel like they've reached a dead end where they are. 21% are eager for career changes. That means one in five would just as soon go someplace else. The job market issue in life and workplace is a very interesting topic that I want us to deal with this morning in this context in Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2. Scripture says a lot about work. There's some number of verses in your section of Scripture this morning. Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. Paul is addressing life in the workplace with you and I who believe in Jesus Christ. And what he is saying to us as believers in Christ, whatever you do, whatever job you have at the top or the bottom of the org chart, what it is in the middle or where you're at in life, do it with all your heart. As you're working for the Lord, not just human masters. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you're serving out in the marketplace. Colossians 4. Bosses or masters, provide for those who work with you what is right and fair. Because you know that you will also have a master in heaven. Christian bosses ought to be the greatest bosses on the planet. Ephesians chapter 6. Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. 
with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are upon you or when they're watching, but as slaves doing the will of your Father, the will of God with all your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord, not just people, because you know the Lord will reward each one whatever good they do. Masters, treat your slaves or your servants or those who work for you in the same way with respect. Don't threaten them, since you know that he is both the Lord and Master in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. First Peter 2, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but even to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain for unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. Those are huge verses that talk to us about our attitude and life in the workplace. God-ordained work. Ten commandments that we'll explore at the beginning of next year. The, the, the number four of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Six days you shall labor. We spend time on the first part of that verse, a Sabbath rest, which is absolutely critical to our physical and spiritual well-being. But don't miss the other part. Six days you labor. Scripture speaks against being lazy and Thessalonians and Proverbs and Timothy. Anyone who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel, Timothy says. Some people live to work. Others work to live. Some see work as something I do to get to Friday. God worked. Genesis chapter 2, seventh day he rested, but in those first six days he did all his work. God asked us to do the same in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord took the man, put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. We don't have to work. We get to work. We get to do what the Creator did, create. God has placed in you and I, all of us, an opportunity to continue the creative process. Engineers and designers and people in the workplace that are coming up with ideas. We have the opportunity to take what we have learned from God as this fascinating Creator and use that in our process of creating and making our workplace better. Now again, it's hard to outdo God when you look around you this week and see the handiwork of God all over this place. But what I love about God is that He invites us in to doing what He did, be involved in the creative process. Genesis chapter 1, God has given us the privilege of being creative stewards over His creation. Even in the fall, God did not curse work. He cursed the ground. So often we get that confused. How many of you have done the Truth Project? I think over 350 of our people have done that so far. Number 11, I think it is, on labor. Fascinating journey that Del Tackett takes us through as we understand the context of work and the involvement of each of us in that place that God places us in. When I ask pastors what area of their church they like to see most improved or enriched, the usual answer that I get is leadership development. Leadership development has been one of the buzzwords over the last decade or so. I, I've often noticed that when it comes to churches, each church will have a ministry of the decade that seems to be continuing on through the years. In the 1970s, it was a bus ministry. Everybody had a bus ministry and busing people to the church. In the 80s, it was small groups or cell groups. In the 90s, it was the Gen X services and satellite campus. And lately, it's been leadership development. But when it comes to leadership... In leadership development, I ask the question, who are you most interested in developing? You see, if we're like most leaders, we think of the people that are going to follow us, the people beneath us on the organizational chart. 
And we usually shift our attention in that direction. Even in the church, we pour all of our information and Bible study material into people, hoping that they'll become transformed by that and be the follower they were designed to be, who will then ultimately become leaders who themselves pour information into other people. But is that really what leadership development is all about? In your sermon notes, leadership author D. Hawk wrote an article suggesting that there's a certain amount of time and energy that great leaders spend in every single of these four leadership areas. Good leaders or great leaders invest 50% of their energy into self-leadership. 25% in leading up those who are over me in the organizational chart, even if it's a board of directors, 25% leading my, 20% leading my peers, or leading laterally is called, and then 5% leading down. See, so often when we talk about leadership, wherever you are in the organizational chart, we so often think of those that follow us. But what he is saying, what she is saying, and what we'll continue to talk about in this context here this morning, even out of Nehemiah, is that leadership is more than just making sure we do a great job so that those who come behind us or follow us will do their job well. As leaders, we often spend the majority of our time in that area. But what she is saying in this, author, in this article is that to lead others well, we need to make sure that we understand who we are in Christ, what we're designed to be, and what God wants us to be as the best leader wherever we are in that journey to help not only who we are, but to lead those above us and around us, and then those behind us will necessarily will naturally follow. Daniel Goldman in the book Emotional Intelligence, I think if you're in a leadership capacity, emotional intelligence is one of the best things you ought to study. He says that a single most distinguishing factor between good leaders and great leaders in your sermon notes has to do with self-leadership. The emotional self-control is the leader's ability to navigate through the highs and lows of leadership, to overcome discouragement, to maintain sober-mindedness in a crisis, to keep evil at bay, to stay focused and on mission despite all the circumstances. And that applies to every level of your organization, whatever that may be, not just to those who we often think of at the top. Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2 is where I want you to be this morning. You're going to notice throughout our journey together that Nehemiah will begin applying all the things that God is teaching him and has taught him in every area of leadership. He'll lead his peers well. He'll lead his followers well. He'll lead himself well. And he'll lead up really well in this context that I want to read this morning. We so often think of wherever I'm at on that org chart, that's what I do. And I don't influence anybody else around me. Those beside me, those beneath me, or those above me. But I'm telling you, great leaders understand how to do it whatever level you're on. And Nehemiah gives us a clinic. Last Sunday on prayer and this morning, a clinic on leading up. But you follow him all the way through our journey in these next few months together. And you will see an incredible model 4,000 years ago of great leadership that is just as applicable today as when it was written. Nehemiah chapter 2, but I want to begin with verse 11 of chapter 1 to lay the foundation. He heard this news, as you saw us last Sunday morning, from his brother about where Jerusalem's at. He spends time praying and seeking God's face as a result of that and ends his prayer this way. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant. And the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer of the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when 
wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I hadn't been sad in his presence before. But the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when I know you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face look so sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? Please the king to send me, so I set a time. And I said to him, If it pleases the king, might have letters to the governors of the Trans Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct as I arrive in, Jud- in Judah. And might I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, to give me some timber and to make some beams for the gates of the citadel, the temple, and the city wall for the residence that I occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted all my requests. Three things that you notice, and I'm going to elaborate on them this morning, but three things you cannot help but notice. As Nehemiah finds himself in a very difficult and very precarious position within the context of leadership, number one is his prayer life, even while working. So often our prayer life is confined to what I do in the morning before I head off to work. Now I know a lot of you have to pray about being at work, and certainly I hope you do that on a regular basis. But what you'll notice about him is that he prays at every level of his day and every situation that he's about to face you find him spending some time with God before he answers the questions before he responds to his boss before he responds to that one over him he prays he sees God's face prayer is more than just what I do in the morning before I begin my day and what I do at the end of the day as I wrap it all up and say God I hope you help me do my best I hope I did my best to my employer today I hope I did my best to serve you prayer is not just something that's reserved for the morning or the evening but it is something that I find saturating my life and every aspect of my day in whatever circumstance I find myself. Nehemiah over and over again spends some time with God, seeking an answer from God. How will I answer? How will I address it? What attitude will I take? Which leads to the second thing that you notice. Not only his prayer life while working, you'll notice very clearly his attitude. His attitude of respect, if it pleases the king. And then third thing you'll notice, not only his prayer life while working, his attitude as he does it, but his work ethic. You'll see in this book that Nehemiah is going to display leadership in all areas, self-leadership, lateral leadership to those around him, and leading his followers. Today I want to concentrate only on one of those, and that is leading up. Wherever you are in your journey of life, in whatever capacity you find yourself in, almost all of us have somebody above us. And what I want to talk about this morning is how Nehemiah does such a great job of teaching us how to lead up. See, we don't even think sometimes in that capacity. What do you mean lead my boss? He's the one that's supposed to lead me. What do you mean lead those over me? They're the ones that are directing the course of action. Nehemiah shares with us some great information on how to make sure that we understand that whatever level we're on, there's always somebody that we have an opportunity to influence one way or the other. All of us should be accountable to someone. And if you want to lead well to those over you who are placed over you, the first thing in your sermon notes, do your job really, really well. Whatever you do for a living, I've got stats all over the place in my office about what are the most enjoyable jobs, what are the least enjoyable jobs, 
want to be careful. I didn't even read them this morning because you will say, oh, there you go. That's why I come home so miserable. All of you know where you're at in that journey of life and what you do for a living. But one of the first things you'll notice out of leading those above you is to do your job really well. Do it and do it really well. Demonstrate competency and demonstrate in your sermon notes excellence. You want to lead up wherever you're at in that journey. Do your job really well. Demonstrate excellence. Not perfection necessarily, but to do your best and not just enough to get by. One of the most difficult things about the work environment in so many contexts, when I share with so many bosses or listen to so many bosses, is the amount of people in their workplace who do just enough to get by. Just so I can get to the end of the day, waiting at that time clock so that I can punch out and get out of this place. As a believer in Christ, we ought to be opposite of that. Now, there are times I know when you're looking at your watch and wondering when you're going to be gone and when it's going to be done and when the day's going to be over. Usually, to be really honest with you, that's when you're in the wrong job. I have found through my years, when I'm watching my watch saying, Oh, Lord, it's only quarter to ten. I thought it was at least noon. And then, oh, my lands, it's only 1.30. I was hoping it would be somewhere closer to five. That's when you're usually in the wrong place or the wrong capacity. In my context, I'm telling you, I'm looking at my wife saying, you've got to be kidding me. It's already 4.35 o'clock, and I don't have all these things done yet. And a lot of you do in the context of overwhelming expectations, but I'm just saying, if you're doing your job, do it with excellence. As a believer in Christ, finding yourself in that place where you have an opportunity to make a difference where you are, do your job really, really well, not just enough to get by. Exceed whatever expectation is placed upon you. Nehemiah finds himself in a very difficult situation. Nehemiah, at this point, is not a leader. He will be, and you'll notice that in the next few weeks to come. God has called him back, and he really believes that, to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. He's a servant in this capacity of a foreign king of all places. In a very difficult environment, he could receive capital punishment simply for displaying a bad attitude. Not only does Nehemiah need a leave of absence from this king, he needs protection and he needs building supplies. You talk about being in a difficult position. Not only is he going to ask for some time off, he's going to ask his boss for some things to take with him to help supply him during his time off. He needed to manage up very carefully. He needs to lead a foreign king to see the importance of what he believes God is asking him to do. And notice the very first words out of his mouth as he positions, petitions the king, if it pleases you, O king, if I found favor in your sight, please grant my request. That verse is a clinic on leading up. If I have found favor in your sight. Translated, it says, if you think I've done a good job, if I have earned your respect, if I have met or exceeded your expectations, could you help me out? A couple of weeks ago, when I talked to you about your influence in the workplace, I said there may be times that God is calling you to use that influence to make a difference where you are. He may be calling you to leave that place of influence to make a difference somewhere else. And some of you may have been led by God to experience some time overseas or uh, a, a mission project of some kind or maybe make a difference in a Habitat for Humanity project or whatever that may be. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do and you have the opportunity to to, to come and influence. Can you imagine saying to, to your employer, I not only need some time off to do this project, I need you to pay me to get there. I need you to provide the building supplies. None of us would even think of that. But what Nehemiah says, if I have earned your respect, 
if I have done a good job, if I have exceeded your expectations, maybe could you help me? Leading up is all about attitude in your sermon notes. It's all about humility and submission and the credibility of a job well done. It's about respect to those who are over you in leadership. It's about understanding that the attitude makes an enormous difference in my workplace. If you ever expect to gain the support of someone in leadership over you, demonstrate humility, submission, respect, and the credibility of a job well done. Notice that he didn't demand it. I get so frustrated when everybody is always in whatever level of life you're on. I want to be careful because I know I'm going to dance on some toes this morning because of union and management issues that have always crop up and always will crop up. But I'm telling you, one of the most frustrating things about that process is the constant continual demands of more. What you'll notice in Nehemiah is that he doesn't demand. He asks. And he asks not just simply out of a statement, but out of a life well lived, a job well done, humility and respect to those over him. Secondly, you'll notice that if you're ever hoping to influence those in leadership over you, it's going to take relationship. Success in leading up is directly linked to establishing a great relationship with those that are over you. Love and respect in your sermon notes. Trust and patience, listening and understanding where you're at and what God's calling you to do and where God maybe has placed you. If you ever want to gain the support of those who are in leadership over you, then you need to have genuine, honest relationships. Not deceitful, not manipulative relationships, but honest, genuine relationships. Through casting vision, to sharing discussions, through knowing your boss's style, when do they like to have the conversation, when is the best time to approach them, what are the issues in their life. No matter what level you are in the organizational chart in your organization, you have the opportunity when God has called you in a position of influence to share your vision very, very well. You see, your lifestyle and my lifestyle and commitment to Christ is a 24-7 experience. When I come to faith in Christ, it affects every area of my life. When you come to faith in Christ, it affects every single area of your life. It affects your every day, every decision of your life. Faith in Jesus Christ affects my values, my personality, my relationships, my marriage, my family, my vocabulary, and my workplace. Christianity is not just a list of do's and don'ts. It is a lifestyle, an attitude that I carry every day of my life and everywhere I go. And most of us spend a lot of time in the workplace, more than sleeping, certainly more than home. And everywhere I go, if I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time in that context, and I understand that God has placed me in that environment to make a difference where I am, then it's going to shape how I view my job, how I do my work, how I treat my boss, and how I entreat my employees. If I understand that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and that it affects every area of my life, my attitude, my responses, my attitude toward my boss, my attitude toward those, toward those around me, how I do my work, if I understand that Christianity affects all of that, then it will make a difference and it will shape how I view my job, how I do my work, how I treat my boss, and how I treat my employees. Could it be in your sermon notes that God has strategically placed you in that environment to make a genuine difference in the lives of the people you work with and for? 
Could it be that God has strategically placed you in that environment? To make a genuine difference in the lives of the people you work with and for. All through the Old Testament, I could go with Nehemiah, I could go with Moses, I could go with Esther. All through the Old Testament, and new as well, but there are so many fascinating Old Testament stories about people that God has strategically placed in the right place at the right time. I love Esther's words for such a time as this. That God has placed you in that environment to make a genuine difference emotionally, relationally, spiritually, in the lives of the people you work with or for. Most of us in this room have somebody over us in some way or the other. Most of us in this room have people that we work with on a regular basis. Could it be that God has placed you in that environment to make a genuine difference right where you're at, in that workplace that sometimes is overwhelming and overbearing to make a difference in the lives of the people around you? Somewhere we've had this mistaken view that people who have been in full-time Christian work had the opportunity to make a more spiritual difference. Churches often brag about how many pastors and missionaries that have come out of that church, and that's a wonderful thing. But what about great Christian bankers and great Christian teachers and great Christian lawyers and great Christian mill workers and great Christian office workers and great Christian police officers and great Christian firefighters who come out of that church? People who have a great attitude about their career, who believe that God has placed them in their respective careers, and who want to be used by God in incredible ways. If you're a Christian in the marketplace, in the workplace, you ought to be one of the best workers your environment has. If you listen to the Truth Project, Del Tackett will talk about situations where someone will say, I'm telling you, if I had the opportunity to hire a Christian, I'd do it in a heartbeat. They have the best ethics, the best work ethic, the best values, and all of those things. But sadly, sometimes I've heard the opposite. I've talked to you before about waitresses sometimes. One of the days that waitresses hate the most is Sundays. And you would think that would be the greatest day because Christians coming out of church happy in love with God, love with each other, can't wait to serve. But they're demanding, they're overbearing, and they're cheap. <laughs> and then they have the audacity to leave a track. <laughs> Never figured out how those go together. If we're a Christian in the marketplace, we ought to be one of the best workers our environment has. You ought to work harder. You ought to be more pleasant, more honest than anyone else in your environment. And if you're a boss, you ought to be the fairest, nicest, most enjoyable boss you can possibly be. This is a really difficult sermon to know that there are people in this audience who work for me. But I'm telling you, if you're a Christian in the marketplace, you ought to be more pleasant, work harder, more honest than anyone else. And if you are someone who employs other people, you ought to be one of the fairest, nicest, most enjoyable bosses anyone has ever had. If not, then maybe we ought to analyze whether or not our Christian values has made that big of a difference on how we live our lives when we walk out these doors. Because Christianity is way more, way more than something I do on Sunday morning when I give praise and adoration to God. But it's even bigger when I walk out that door Monday or Tuesday, whenever you get back to work and face the people around you or work with them, that's where you have the opportunity to make the biggest difference. Let me pray for you. Lord, as I look around the audience this morning, I recognize that there are a lot of hands and certainly different capacities in the workplace. And so this morning, in these few moments together, I, I lift them up to you and I ask that during these moments of quiet, you'll hear them. 
Some face really tough situations. They have a boss that is overbearing. And I ask God that you will hear them as they cry out to you, hopefully day by day and hour by hour as they work in that environment. Some have employees that are arrogant and demanding. And they wish they didn't even have to go to work tomorrow, even though they're the boss. And so I lift them up to you as well. During these quiet moments, just lift your heart up to God wherever you're at in your workplace and ask him to use you to make a difference to the lives of the people that you're with on a regular basis. Father, I thank you for calling us into partnership with you in managing and being great stewards of the gift of this planet. I thank you that you put us and placed us in very strategic positions as believers in Christ to make a difference in the lives of those that we work with and for on a regular basis. So I trust that you will use us and you will speak to us about where we are in our journey and how we're using that place to make a difference in the lives of those around us. Thank you again for your handiwork and your creative hand in strategically placing us in some of these positions. I trust you'll continue to keep us always aware of where we are and what difference we can make. Thank you for this place of worship and adoration, of education and learning. Continue to use us as we influence others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great, great day and a great work week. Be gone week, and uh, Pastor Bob's going to be here next Sunday morning on the issue of transformation. You won't want to miss it. Have a great week.